The Boardroom International Surfboard Show presented by U.S. Planks coming up October 8th and 9th at the Del Mar Fairgrounds, a massive hall filled with the entire surfboard manufacturing industry. If you love surfboards, hard goods, wetsuits, fins, gear, you're going to love the boardroom. This year we're honoring icon of foam Timmy Patterson. Timmy will select eight shapers to replicate some of his classic designs. In addition, Best in Show presented by Zio Baffa Organic Italian Wines. Big Wave Guns is the category. So if you're a shaper listening now, all you have to do is build a Big Wave Gun and deliver it to the show, and you are entered to win, and there's big cash and prizes available. The Boardroom Talks, Live Music, Food, the Vintage Surfboard Collector Club, California Gold Surf Auction, and much, much more. The Boardroom International Surfboard Show, presented by U.S. Blanks, October 8th and 9th. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. California Gold Surf Auction taking place October 1st through October 15th. Curated and finely vetted surfboard gold, vintage collectible surfboards, including boards shaped by Jerry Lopez, Pat Curran, Rennie Yader, Greg Knoll, Reno Abalera, Tom Parrish, Barry Kaniapuni, Mike Diffenderfer, Dick Brewer, and many, many others. We've got an incredible collection of surfboards on the auction block, the California Gold Surf Auction. Marty Hoffman has seen a lot as the son of Flippy Hoffman, the nephew of Walter Hoffman, and frankly, a family lineage that's peppered with iconic, legendary surf characters. He's made a new film, Big Wave Guardians. It's a look at the North Shore lifeguard culture. A great film, an absolute must-see Big Wave Guardians on this episode of the Boardroom Podcast. Marty Hoffman, let us begin.
Marty, thanks for being on the Boardroom Podcast. I appreciate it. Um, Big Wave Guardians, this new film about first responders of the ocean. It's in theaters now. Um, and Marty, what I know about you <clears throat> is very little, but early days, I know that you were a pioneer of surfing pretty massive wintertime swells out of Toto Santos Island. I want to say like maybe late seventies, early eighties. Can you give me some insight into that? Yeah. Um, I was about to graduate high school and my buddies were all planning a trip to go down there with the guy who used to run the tours out there, bud. Yes. And one of our buddies, this guy, TV Dave, he bailed out and they asked me if I wanted to take his place. And I got lucky. I said, yeah. And we went out there and scored it about eight, 10 feet, three days to row. Perfect. Just us. I came straight home and started building a boat to go there. Yeah. And so I, first I did a Zodiac and I would launch out off the beach and that was pretty challenging. And then I ended up building a small little boat and going out of the Harbor and doing that a lot, which was really a good, good thing to find. Cause and, and who was, what was the crew you were with? Who I, I want to say like, like Boo Stubbs or Parsons or was, or who was it? Um, I was with the McGonagall brothers, right? Don Miller, um, a few different high school buddies. Uh, let's see. I didn't really take any big name guys that I could think of other than Terrence McNulty and a couple other guys I know Yeah, on some trips out there. What was interesting is that other than Terrence, every guy I took out there ended up going through the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm wondering, did you make some rescues out there? Actually, no, not that I can remember. Um, not that I can remember. I only remember a couple times where the jet ski was out there real, real big. The biggest day I think was ever recorded there or whatever. Someday in 98 after Bradshaw got his big wave, it hit the coast here and it was yeah. 52 foot seas and whatnot. And, and uh, Randy Lane was out there with his ski. And that's like one of the only times I ever saw a ski out there doing that at that time. Yeah. And, you know, looking after guys. Other than that, minimal. But say going back to the early days, like early 80s, uh, what, was there ever a point where you're like, holy shit, we're undergunned? Like, we're, I've surfed it eight to 10 feet. I get it. And you went out there and one day it was 20 feet and you were like, just probably you were stoked, but it was a realm uh, that you weren't used to. My target was actually when it was only medium size. When it got real big, it isn't that great of a wave. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of not all that great of a wave. It, at 8, 10 feet, 12 feet to the most, say, it's a real good wave. Yeah, and you can get barrels and everything. Yeah, but uh, I didn't focus on it for big days, but I did go down there on a few real big days and got it real good. There was a real memorable day. I remember I think it was Parsons wrote about it in one of the mags, and he talked about how we were all out there and a bunch of guys from Santa Cruz came down and stuff, and we had a really really good big day. Um, that was the thirty first of January ninety eight. That was a that was a bomb swell. And then yeah. they had that K two contest about a week or two later, and. That's when Terrence got third in that one, and I had them all prepped from taking them out there every week, you know, before that. Just, I was telling the boat captain on the trip, we were out there the big day, he's going to win it, you know, and he ended up getting third, which is pretty good. Yeah, that's great. And I do remember that swell, South Sofuetis was all time, and I know there's a lot of video. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That um, was my focus. That trip was my focus. Is, I told Terrence, we're going to go surf Totos, but my focus is Totos Santos that day. I mean, uh, South Sofuetis. Yeah, that afternoon when the tide was low, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Probably as good as I've ever seen it. For sure. Mike Stewart came over to our car and he was a, what's his name? Uh, the photographer Brown. And he's all, he's going home. Can I go with you guys? I said, yeah, jump in the back with my dog. We'll do it. And 
we were eyeballing that next point up. It was like 20 feet just coming down that thing, just insane. We almost went out and tried to do it, but we just went out and surfed Sospoides, which was probably a lot smarter because it was already maxing. Yeah, I don't, I mean, you would speak to this better than me, but has anyone even seen that wave up there break before? We'd seen it, but not before that. I'd never seen it where you could look like it was possibly doable, but yeah. you could die for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, look, maybe some of our listeners don't know um, some of the legacy of the Hoffman family. Interestingly, when I think of lifeguards and, and big wave guardians, if you will, I think of Joyce Hoffman, who I imagine is your aunt. She's my cousin. Your cousin. Yeah. Joyce was a lifeguard in Del Mar, California, in the 60s. Uh-huh. And I know this because I worked there, and we would see her picture on the walls there. And um, she, was, she worked under Captain Gardner Stevens. Um, tell me a little bit about lifeguarding in the Hoffman family. Is there this legacy? There's a real strong connection. My dad would always go down to Sunset, and he loved surfing Sunset in Hawaii. And he would pull up to the tower because he knew all the lifeguards, Jim Sutar and Roger Erickson and Derek Dorner and Jimmy Blears and a whole bunch of just, you know, characters from those times. And uh, we hung out with those guys and learned a lot. And they would watch our car and, you know, look after my dad and me. And just it was one of our main little hubs that we hung out with. And I just learned to learn to appreciate what they did over all these years watching, you know, the whole evolution of what they did in Hawaii. And that whole thing was, I really saw it really change, you know, from looking for bodies to bringing guys back. Yeah. Wow. That's a good way to, to look at it too. Yeah. yeah it was, now, when it was you, a good thing. When you say your dad, um, I'm assuming that is that Walter? No, Flippy was my dad. Walter is my uncle. Okay. Flippy was your father. Tell me a little bit about your uncle. I'm fascinated by him. I was looking at the shapers tree that's kind of uh, out there where they kind of line up lineages huh? and it, and it has Walter Hoffman mentoring Pat Curran to shape surfboards. Question. Do you know where I can get a copy of that tree? I've got it. I'll send I it. I need to a you. copy, please. Okay. Here's what happened. My uncle went over to Hawaii and he made friends with all the beach boy guys yeah. and they were shaping boards on the beach right yeah. there in Waikiki on the beach. Yeah. And when he came back, he taught Hobie, he taught all kinds of guys. Yeah. And because he'd actually done it. And they're like, dude, show us what to do and how to do it. And just went from there. And I guess, uh, you know, I got old pictures of him on the beach shaping boards and just, just classic stuff. He yeah. lived a very lucky, lucky life. So do you, I imagine he was learning how to lay up wood and, and just basically use, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, like just clamps, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. I was talking to Timmy Patterson and he told me that Timmy Patterson's grandfather helped your uncle Walter. He would get scrap balsa from the life rafts in white in, at Pearl Harbor. Exactly. Yeah. Great story. Yep. Yeah. 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 They had a great thing going there working with the military, but the military would let them take all kinds of extra balsa and extra play stuff and play with it. And they had their swim team and their ocean thing. So they were pretty styling. Yeah. And, and, uh, does your, does your uncle, uncle Walter or, uh, your father Flippy, I, I imagine they have saved some lives, right? Like, I mean, they've been big wave guardians, even though they're not, you know, employed as oh, lifeguards. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Just the old days surfing sunset, you would see all kinds of guys, you know, they would lose their board and wouldn't know what to do. And they start swimming straight for the channel. 
it's like, yep, you're going straight to the rip. You're going to go out to the ocean, you know, and you have to paddle over and tell the guy, no, no, swim over here, get pounded in and, you know, kind of give him a little coaching. And back in those days, that would happen just because there's nobody else around. It was just nobody around. I mean, I've had so many interesting ones. I remember waking up one Christmas morning, I'm laying in my little room, looking out the window and, and I'm looking, I take note, like, wow, it's big. I can tell it's big. Like I can just tell by the way I look in the water and I see this guy walk by it. He's got like a, you know, typical six, six or six, eight or something. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, well, I, I thought it was a lot. I don't know if that looks right. You know, and <laughs> I crawl out of bed about 20 minutes later and I walk out and I'm like, Oh shit, he got out. And I could tell it's big. And he's like sitting at the poops lineup, trying to get a wave. And then the wave came. Yeah. I've, that was just one of the guys that I came across. Like I had to go out and kind of help him come in. Yeah. It'll get so big. All the water is going out. So I want to let you go in. What did you do? Did you paddle up to him and give him your board or just come no, follow I, me or. No, I always keep fins in the front yard for that kind yeah. of a thing. And yeah. I just grabbed the fins and walked down there and saw he was not getting pounded. He was doing all right. So I didn't take you know, rest too much and swam out there and I looked at him and I said, how you doing? He goes, well, I didn't know it was this big. And I said, that's what I thought. <laughs> and, and I said, dude, let's get rid of the board and uh, we're just going to have to swim you in and, you know, get pounded and, we did it and he was like pretty thankful yeah wow um you know it's it's interesting right i was thinking about the technology that's been taking place in the life-saving world and um you know when you think about your father flippy and these these missions type kaina point and the technology really then was like a helicopter like i might need a helicopter you know what i mean pre-jet ski, pre-personal watercraft. And then, of course, along comes Herbie, who is he your uncle as well, or what's his relationship? He's the same, same as Joyce. He's a cousin through marriage. He married my Walter's daughter, Gibby, yeah. and then that's that's the relation there. And I'll tell you a pretty inter- interesting story. Is we used to go out to, like you said, Kaina Point and Avalanche and surf it with nobody around, no one looking, no one anything. And this was the late 70s. And I was even a little kid to the point where I didn't go out because it was gigantic. Yeah. And we were putting buoys out to put figure out the lineup. And I remember one day it was, we were at 130 feet of water where the buoy was put. And Derek Dorner, Roger Erickson, Jeff Johnson, David Konomoko, and one or two other guys, Dave Wor- Don Wirt from San Clemente. He was in the water. I saw him get a wave that was so big. It had to be a 50-foot wave. It was in 130 feet of water. Yeah. I had a perfect side view. Thing threw completely over past him as he's mocking down this thing on a 10-foot brewer. And it passed him and flew and it landed in front of him. He rode straight into the falling curtain. And I saw it from the side. It was the gnarliest thing I've ever seen. I was like, oh my God, he's gonna be dead. And he came over to the boat, like crawled over to the boat after the wave and everything, and just crawled onto the boat and just goes, fuck, I've never been hit by anything like that before. And he was surfing a lot of YMA and all that shit. And I just remember seeing it and just going, oh, my God, that's the gnarliest thing I've ever seen. Wow. And then, like, an hour later, a cleanup set came through. It was, like, 60 feet easy, and it got all those guys. And then Jeff Johnson, whose boat it was, who was driving the boat and everything, he uh, jumped in the water, and we towed him into a real big one. He rode all the way to the beach. Wow. And that was that's probably 78 or so. That's interesting because really what we have here is maybe one of the first times a guy got towed into a wave. Was he ro- – Towed with a rope, obviously. Towed in with like a like a water ski type rope. Yeah. And wow. 
my dad was always into that. Like Laird will say he invented that and Herbie Trespassen, he invented it. It's like, my dad didn't even invent it. He was into it, but Lauren Harrison and lots of old guys. I watched John Van Ornum and Ed Farwell. I'm pretty sure who it was at Newport Point one day. Mackie, Mackie Newport Point. Like you call it 12, 15 foot pipe easy. And that's what it was breaking like. And they were towing in with the old stand-up type ski. And I was like 78, 77, 78. And I'd heard guys doing other stuff before that, but my dad was really into it for the big wave stuff. Yeah. You know, he told Laird and Derek and them, they had a, it was in our yard. The, the boat was because Derek was living in a, in a banana shack that we owned across the street and they were doing their thing with the boat. And my dad walked by one day and he goes, yes, you go out and tow yourself into some wave with the boat. And they went, yeah. And then they went out and towed him with the, with their YMA boards. And as soon as they caught the wave, they're like, we don't need these boards. And then yeah. the whole thing evolution from that point, like I will say, the evolution point of, of all that stuff, like it talks about in the movie, the, the, the sled behind the ski and all that shit, that was pretty much all developed by Derek, Laird, and the strap guys. Yeah. They took it way past, you know, what it was. Yeah. It's like, you, a lot of guys will sit on, say what you want about Laird, but he backs up his shit big time. He's, he'll take you places that most guys would not want to be. And yeah. most of those guys, the reality of it is Jaws. Most of those guys, I don't think, should be out there. Yeah, they they don't like they need to be built like Laird. You get hit by that thing, it's gonna rip the shit out of you. Just the other day, I watched the film about uh, Florence Nathan. Yeah, he got third place in this, you know, CBD whatever invitational thing, and he walked up the beach going, "Fucking yeah, I got third, man!" But my shoulders just completely destroyed just from hitting the you know hitting the water and just rah and just that speed. They're going fifty miles an hour. You hit the water. You better have your head set, your your body right, or you're going to get rattled. Yeah. And then take it over for the super rodeo run. Just, you know, it's happened to every one of them. Long, twiggy, every one of them's lost at the bottom and then went up and over. And every one of them said, fuck, dude, I barely made it. Healy, every one of them, they're just like, fuck, dude, I don't think I was going to come up. And it's just that much volume, that much force, that shit. You better be built like Laird or fucking better. It's like that shit. Years ago, I watched Garrett pull into a big, big, gnarly, deep one, really gnarly, because Dane towed him in deeper than he should have been. <laughs> and he pulled into this thing that was insane. If it would have landed on him, it would have fucking ripped his limbs out of his fucking sockets and killed him. And I was yeah. like, fucking, I, I go, dude, good thing that did it to you, because it would have ruined you. And I've seen YMA do it to guys where Shane Horan, different guys I've seen get just, just shredded. And they come in all water drunk, all punch drunk on and I remember Shane did it. And I was sitting like, "Are you all right?" He goes, "Yeah, I'm all right. Fuck, I'm fucked, but I'm not going to collapse like Farnsworth because <laughs> that that winter Farnsworth had two events where he collapsed or something. It was pretty funny hearing Shane say that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, well, it's interesting. You 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 touched on Flippy um, sort of being a foundational, um, and it, and and in a weird way, and pardon the pun, it was sort of flippant. Like he just walked through the yard and goes, "Hey, you guys should use this thing." which he had done like he yeah. had done this and um it makes me think now maybe there's a movie there you know like i i sense that the walter and flippy movie needs to be made it would be an incredible movie it would be really incredible you know some guys wouldn't understand some of the stuff um some of the things like like in my movie i one of you know these writer guys will write things that i don't approve or i don't see or whatever one of them was that like they'll put anything like Hoffman's regarded as like the first family of surfing. It's like not even close, dude. You want to go for Duke or somebody, you know, yeah, it's like, right. I don't want that kind of a title or whatever you want to call it. Right. 
this, you know, I'm just happy to go surfing. And, you know, those kind of titles or whatever, I'm not interested yeah. in. I don't want to be right. Immediately, you guys, what are we talking about? You guys, Johnny, come lately. You're not, you know, you're not from the early, real first deal. Yeah. And that's where you got the Duke or somebody along those lines that's really responsible for a much more broad thing. And maybe that's, maybe that's, you know, the part of you, the film about the Hoffmans is that we're not that. This is what we are. We're, we're, we are this, but we're not Kahanamoku. What's really interesting is that, that what you're th- talking about, my, my uncle, my uncle spent a lot of times, you know, he'd go in the surf contest at White Makaha and he's got pictures of the Duke and all this cool stuff. And he hung around more of that. I don't know what you call it. I just, he hung around a lot more of public people and more of the, the scene. My dad was super about being away from all of it, being out there looking for as much of a adventure away from everyone, more, you know, wild side, find anything that was nobody around and we got it. And like, that's why he moved to the North shore is Makaha was, you know, a bunch of guys, this and that. Yeah. He probably, his, his character is just, he wants more privacy and hang out alone. He moved out to Sunset with Bob Simmons, which I didn't know that. I thought Simmons was before him until I read some article all about it. And I had no idea. I thought Bob Simmons was like 10 years before him. And I read, no, they lived at Sunset together. And Simmons taught him all about stock markets and different things like that. And perhaps oh, weird things. And it was pretty interesting hey, to learn that. Any idea of the, the, the time frame there with, with your father and Bob Simmons on the North Shore, like late 40s? It would have been right around 52. Yeah. Right in there. Could have been late 40s, but I don't think so. I'll, yeah. I can find yeah. off my uncle, though. Yeah, that's he's, interesting. He's still, he's still there enough to, to know that. Yeah. How old is Walter these days? He's like 82. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. He's doing all right, but he's showing his age. Yeah, it happens, you know. Yeah. It, it happens. Um, you know, Flippy, your father, um, was one of the visions I have is, is Jeff Devine told me once that, you know, he would help Flippy down into the water when he, when your dad was getting on an edge and get him out into the surf. And he had, of course, the handles on his boards. Yep. Um, and so he's this guy that like never stopped being in the water, you know? And that's fascinating to me as, as you and I both get older, like when's our last wave, what's our last wave going to be, you know, like, and, and Flippy really took it. I mean, he was old. Like how old was your father when he passed? He was 80 and he pretty much killed himself. He was like worried about whatever thing. And anyways, he, he did do it as long as he possibly could. And I heard a story from, you know, Alan Byrne. Yeah. Kiwi. Right before Alan, right before Alan passed, he said to me, he goes, yeah, I came across your dad in the yard one day. Cause they all hung out in that yard at backyards. Yeah. The hunter guys. And Alan said, yeah, I found him. And, He said he was crying because he, he couldn't surf. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty powerful. And I was just sad because he, he just was the ocean of this whole old world. So it was pretty sad to see that. What, what about you, having? Marty? What, when, have you given any thought to your last wave? I broke my heel like three years ago. And I've been in the water. I've surfed like two or three times since. Yeah. But not what I want to surf. Yeah. I, I was just in El Salvador, went down there to deal with some personal crap. Yeah. And uh, the waves are three or four feet perfect for for anybody. Yeah. And 
I should have surfed, but I didn't. But I'm just getting to where I can actually go back in the water and stuff. Yeah. But my biggest frustration is that I don't think I'll ever be what I what? used to kind of be, where I yeah. can paddle for a wave in Indonesia or somewhere and free fall down the face and, you know, make the drop and then keep going, whatever. And I don't know if I'll be able to ever do that kind of thing again. I'll feel kind of pretty limited. Yeah, but I would suggest to you that the joy of being in the ocean is going to always be there for us, regardless of how we perform. You know, we're, you know, we're going to go out gracefully like Flippy. Exactly. Right? My yeah, whole yeah. thing is I've been looking at Cobble my whole life going, it's for old men. It's for old men. <laughs> it's for me now. <laughs> yeah. And you've got a big connection down there with the McGonagall's, obviously. And, yep. and actually, it, I'm thinking like Baja Pochi. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I'm getting off topic here. Let me stay. I know you've got a, a guy out in the hallway there. Let me. Um, you're he's Herbie producer, Fletcher. He's my producer for this thing, so don't worry. Oh, cool. Okay, good. So, um, you know, in the movie, you tell me. I haven't seen the movie. I saw the trailer. Um, but it's been sort of um, conventional wisdom, if you will, that Herbie showed up on the North Shore with the jet ski and was ripping around pipeline. And we've all seen the footage of that. And I actually spoke to Brian K. Alano 10 years ago or something, and he mentioned a rescue where they first used the jet ski. And it was just random. It was happenstance uh, that there was a ski there. Maybe the story's right. in the movie. I don't know. It's in the movie. Yeah. It's about so, Squiddy. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So this jet ski fundamentally changed the way the, the big wave guardians uh, handles, handle rescues. Here's, here's something for you to know. Yeah. Me and my staff of my filmmakers have been very at odds because I made the movie for a guy named Terry Ohui. Yeah. He was the North Shore head guy at the pipe tower. He's the one who really did this. Yeah. His, he was in my yard. I watched it all live every day, me and Mickey Nielsen and everybody else. When they showed him the poster of my movie, Mickey goes a poster with Brian in a picture. He goes, that should be Terry. And he was right. And I told these guys that. And at one point in the movie, Cole Christensen, who's whatever, the latest flavor of the day, whatever goes, Brian Kailan invented this. I said, cut that out of the movie. That's not true. That's not right. He's not been around long enough to know the truth and what's really happened. And I can tell you, here's a prime example. Mickey's texting me back, you know, it should be Terry, blah, blah, blah. I know that, blah, blah, blah. When I set it up in Hawaii, when I'm on Kata, who's a quick guy forever. Yeah. They all, you know, what's up with that? And I go, dude, I've been trying to, you know, rein this shit in for months. And they still went with it because it was a good fairy tale story of their way of, you know, all this stuff about Brian's all good, all real, all true, somewhat. But you couldn't have that statement by Cole in there. And the next day after the presentation in, in Hawaii, the next morning, Terry's calling me, who's this guy, Cole? because of what he said yeah and if you look in the movie you'll see they show these embroidery patches that are on the wall inside the lifeguard headquarters mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this whole thing was based around jim kempton going oh i want to promote brag and da 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 you know that whole brag thing yep, yep yep and it's like dude go back deeper in history and you can look in the lifeguard tower it says in there brag came around in about 2011 12 right in there on the wall in the in lifeguard server it says jet ski rescue 2000 10 years before it's yeah. like you know, this was going on long before Bragg. Bragg's great thing, awesome, genius deal, all that. But they need to go back to the real, true history. But everybody's trying to claim it, so yeah, whatever. Yeah. But uh, it was interesting that Terry called me up and asked, who's this guy claiming this? Yeah. <laughs> well, tell me about Terry Ahui because um, he's, he, it sounds like he's the central figure here. He's the foundational figure in the Big Wave Guardians. 
he is, I had to push that whole thing hard and he should be. He's why I made the movie. He's why I made the movie. Yeah. You know, I had to go to a release, my first showing ever at this place in Laguna. And like I said, I've watched this my whole life in Hawaii on my deck right there. And I knew what I wanted to make when I, okay, what I did, I made the dad, I made a movie about my dad and Grubby and all that stuff. And I went, you know what? This movie is not enticing enough for the average general public to try and do it on Netflix. I need something to feed it, to feed into it. So I need a a big wave movie or a lifeguard or something in the movie. And we came up with lifeguards. I hear my staff at, at the first showing my writer and my editor, more my writer, not my editor, saying that, oh, we, we came up with this idea one day, me and this you know, editor kid, it's like, bullshit, this is my deal. I says, I know exactly what I was doing, who I was doing, and he was all about sucking off Brian, and it was his whole agenda from day one. Yeah. And that's the other conversation I'm going to have with my producer out here, is that day one on this whole project, he had a, he had a rough draft of what he's going to write, and on the rough draft it said, Buzzy Kerbox for big waves four times on the first page. I'm like, what the fuck, Buzzy's not a big wave guy. Yeah. What the fuck yeah. is this? Yeah. And I call my producer. I go, I think he wants to blow him. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just wrong. They go after these guys who they can get their reward or their little play out of and their little fairy tale story. And and, it's, and I've, I've been screaming at it. It's a false narrative. Yeah. And I'm fucking embarrassed. And they're just oh. like, what? what, what, what? No, it's a great movie, but some things need to be cut out. Yeah. And it was played a way to, you know, cater to whatever agenda. And I hear about the Hollywood Sharks, and now I see what happens. You yeah. go to do something, and they twist it how they want it to be. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, you came two weeks a year. I was there all day, every day. Yeah. You're going to tell the story, not me? Yeah. It's just embarrassing and really frustrating. It sounds like you're frustrated. I'm sorry to hear that. It's tough to give up control of your baby, right? It's when you give minor instruction and they don't they don't follow it. That's when it gets really, really frustrating. Because I stood out of the way most of the way wow. and let them go without being up, you know. Yeah. And they came out with a great movie. I knew they would because I've given them percentages in it. They've got yeah. return on the back end, all this stuff. I've made it as good a deal as possible, really. So I knew everybody put their heart into it and do it as best as they could, which they did. Yeah. And they came out with a great thing, but it needed a tiny bit of oversight that's real critical. Yeah. And certain little things in there to me are super critical and to them, not so much. Right. But and they're not getting the call from Terry. Exactly. They are not at that level of that world to yeah. have to face this. Yeah. And I told them, dude, 30 years ago, you might have been flown out. Yeah. That's the way it was. Yeah. Just, you know. Gnarly. Yeah, it's just, you know, and I, I don't, and I don't want to even go there with the whole thing in the snap, but yeah. very frustrating having something happen like that. And like I was saying at the beginning of the meeting, or I'm sorry, the very first showing, I got the writer up there trying to pretend it was all his idea and his whole thing. I'm just like, yeah. Whoa. So we've had a little bit of tension. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, general, that happens. That happens. You know, that's, as you know, that's kind of part of the deal. Like there's always tension within the, Within the scene, yes, you know? good good stuff takes takes some uh, time in the fire. <laughs> yeah, but it's, um, it's a good movie. I'm pretty happy with what they did. What do you think is next? Because we mentioned uh, the jet skis and then personal watercraft and Terry's um, super important involvement and all of that. 
And then when I think about what's next for technology, obviously, <coughs> you know, you, you mentioned these, these uh, contemporary guys like Dorian and all these guys that are surfing Jaws, Greg Long, and getting blown up, but they have those CO2 cartridges. So they're getting popped up to the top and they're getting to the surface. And I'm just wondering, like, do you have any insight or any thoughts on what's next technologically for these guys for their safety? There was a real big swell January, I think, last year. Not this year. I think it was last year. That really yeah. windy day. Yeah. And did you see the guy who was he was a he was a he was a, a toe surfer, but he had a float suit on, and he's paddling up the wave. And I first saw the photo. I was like, why is the guy to you know get off that thing and you know go under? He ends up going up the top of the wave and getting tossed in the lip on top of a windsurfer. You see that one? I don't know if I saw it, but I'm imagining it. You got to see it. It's incredible. It looks like he's <laughs> getting impaled by the mast. It's insane. And the wow. guy's getting tossed by like a 60-footer. It's incredible. I thought it was Makua Rothman. I asked him. He said, no, it wasn't me. And uh, this guy, just the other day, I watched it again. Someone's talking about the thing. I figured who it was. It was someone talking about that day. And it shows the guy. He's just piling up the face, piling in. He gets right to the very peak. Just gets launched. Because he couldn't get the suit off to go under yep. and get out of the way of the thing. He had no choice but to just try and get out of the way as much as he could and ended up in the worst place possible. Wow. So that's something to give some thought to that, man, those float suits can be a problem where you can't get out of the way of that thing. I don't even know if you had the suit off, you even could anyway, because it's so massive and that much water going. But uh, that's the thing they should take some thought of. I mean, I just saw a thing just the other day of a guy doing that same thing. And he goes, no, I don't want to wear the fest. I want to be able to get out of the way of it. It's like, wow, you're thinking yeah. a little bit. Yeah. It's, what about uh, helmets? Like, it seems to me that, that first of all, Maybe not enough guys wear helmets. I don't know, but they've made some pretty good, big improvements on the, the, you know, sort of the sizing of the helmets. So they're not so intrusive. Right. And it seems like if you could have some sort of little oxygen, James Bond thing right off the helmet, you know, who knows? I, I don't know. The whole thing with the oxygen thing is you gotta be really be careful about getting embolism. Yeah. You're, you're breathing compressed air and you get tossed down there. You know, you'll get down 40, 50 feet and you got that compressed air and you're not letting it out. You're going to fuck yourself dead. Yeah. So that's something to really, really look at because, you know, they're all starting to play with float suits and all these different things. And we did that way before anybody was even playing with them. I still got some of them. Yeah. And uh, when you say we, you mean you're, you and your father? Yeah. 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 I, mean, I, was, I tell you some great stories. I remember years ago, I'm about, I was probably 15, 16, right? All full of myself and shit. And Ace Cool comes walking in our yard in Hawaii. And I'm like, I'm looking at the guy going, oh, my God, what's up with this? And he's talking to my dad. My dad's all pumped on him. Yeah, he's going to go surf crying to point. I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got this, he's got a scuba tank with him, like a 50. I think it was a 50 or a 30. Yeah. With a full, like, stage one mouthpiece, the whole thing, right? And I'm going, I go to my dad. I go, dude, why are you even talking to that guy? He's, in the, he's just, and he goes, oh, he's, he's all right. And he gave him this little spare air. It's a little tiny tank with a little valve on it, which is dangerous. And... He had a whole, you know, dive rig. I go, he's going to go through the back of his skull. This thing's going to go down his throat. And just, fuck, <laughs> it was pretty funny. But, uh, yeah, we've been wow. playing around with that whole thing a long, long time. It's like in my movie. Another one that that's, comes out of the movie is Dave Wassel. Good guy, great guy. But he says in the movie, he goes, Jose Angel was the inventor of outer reef surfing. Call up Roger Erickson. Call up Derek Dorner. Call up a lot of guys, and they'll tell you. Uh, the outer reef guy whose name is Flippy Often, dude. He built boats. I, he had a jet ski way before anybody had a jet ski out there. Yeah. He, was, he would go out and surf Hollywood and Avalanche for hours all morning, come back by lunch, and go, I won. I won. I got 100 waves. I, go, I won. 
And my friend Marvin Foster, different guys from Oliva would look and just they idolized me. They thought, wow, the guy's the coolest guy ever. He's out there riding around by himself, giant waves, just Marvin thought he's the greatest guy ever. Did you just, ever see your dad on that board that that uh, Mickey made him, Munoz made him that? Uh, you know which board I mean, that 17-footer, oh, yeah. yep, I yep. think it was like Awu on it or something. Yep, 15-foot three. It's, Did that thing uh, ever get surfed? A little bit, tiny bit. Someone yeah. just told me the other day they went out tandem on it. I think it was Derek Dorner and maybe David Conamoco or something. I forget who it was. Yeah. But uh, minimal. But it was like he was going to try and do, you know, outer reef, uh, avalanche, uh, you know, kind of all that stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there's some uh, – there's lots of interesting stories about that. There was a board in our garage years ago. It was this green gray knoll, and it had a concave tail, and it was really bitching volan glass job. And I remember seeing it when I was a little kid, and I asked my dad when I go, hey, what happened to that green board that's in the garage? And he goes, yeah, where'd that go? And he looked around, finally, he found it. Herbie had it and got it back. And then I asked Greg Knoll about the board. And Greg goes, yeah, I remember that board. I made it for Charlie Galanto. It was so he could surf kind of point. But he goes, he was full of shit, though. And <laughs> that was, I got the whole story on that board. It was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, cool. But, uh, well, yeah, yeah, like you said, there could be a great movie with a, a lot of these stories. Like Roger and Derek called a big day that we did the towing and all that shit. They yeah. call it the cloudy day. That's 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 a good story that that should get, yeah, you know, taped, interviewed, or whatever. Because they saw things they saw. I saw stuff I saw that you know we all saw different stuff, and it's pretty incredible. Do you ever find yourself as a filmmaker going, look, let's just go get these stories in the can. We don't know how we're going to use them, but let's just get them. You know, let's get let's this oral get history them. done. I got half Jacobs. I got. All kinds of guys, Clarence Hara, who was like the godfather of surfing as far as the, the surf labels. You know, he was doing hang 10 and, you know, barefoot, blah, blah, whatever, back in the 50s. And he owned HIC still when he died. You know, he's just yeah. he's been around that long, that in it forever. Incredible history there, the family. And yeah. we got, you know, Hap Jacobs right before he passed. You know, lots of guys that my uncle, Clarence, Hap, you know. Yeah. A lot of key guys that we tried to get them before they were gone, before that was, you know, because that's what got me on this thing of beating was all these older guys going, we're going to get these stories from these guys before they're gone. And they're just dropping, boom, boom, one after the other. So it's like we tried to start doing it. And one of them was Wayne Schaefer, my next door neighbor for 50 years. And he just come out of the hospital. We talked to him a little bit that morning. Two weeks later, he was gone, you know, yeah. missed him. Yeah. And it's just this thing that just trying to get some of that stuff that's there that we still can get it. My uncle was a pretty good one just hearing some of his things and would like to definitely get a few more guys just to, what about Pat Curran? I mean, obviously he he's still with to, us. He was supposed to show up in, in uh, at the Oceanside surf heritage or surfing museum, whatever. Yeah. We did a, you know, a, a interview thing down there. One, you know, one session and yeah. he was supposed to show, but he did not show up and it's kind of normal for him like that. He's yeah. a lot like my dad, not really into the camera or the scene, whatever sort of, out of the side, off to the side a little bit, just not really, not, where's the camera? Where, look, I'm right here. <laughs> not so much like that, sort of just more it feel, just really. It feels like with Pat that he's a guy that if you can get him in an intimate setting, just you and, and the camera and him and, and a couple of beers or whatever, uh, it feels like he's got a bunch of stories that haven't been told or his version of the story. Because he's like Flippy, he wasn't looking for it. But I, I sense it like, there's a lot of guys that have said stuff and said stuff and said stuff. And we got that. Let's get this, you know, and Pat's one of those I, guys I feel like. 
he's the guy who I get surprised when I hear stuff like when he'd be at the, you know, they're all at some, you know, I think it was the concert hut. We're all eating, and he's got some Viking helmet on. And he's like doing this big, you know, act, you know, <laughs> let's eat, whatever. And it just seems so out of character for him because he's always such the introvert, kind of removed. You know, like he was living in our house in Cabo for a few years and stuff. And I hear how guys would paddle out, and he'd be the only guy out, and he'd look over, and I'm like, why are you here? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, um, you know, interesting story. I, the Vietnam War had a rest and relaxation center at China Beach, right? And yeah. and there was a legitimate surfing scene there. It was there was a surf culture, and it's because soldiers would come out of the jungle from fighting. They go to the, get their rest and relaxation. They get drunk and they drown. Oh, and yeah. there was oh, yeah. an enterprising young surfer from San Clemente. His name was Greg. Uh, I forget his last name, but. He went to his commanding officer and he said, sir, you need lifeguards. You need guardians kind of, you know, along the theme of what we're talking about here. And he said, I'm your guy. I'm a lifeguard back home. I'm a surfer. And the commanding officer was catching a a little bit of flack from above. And he said, "Uh, what do you need? I need lifeguards. I can't have these kids dying on the beach. And Greg said, well, sir, I'm going to need four or five surfboards. (laughs) The first thing he got was surfboards from his commanding officer sent over from California. And they set up a little surf shack. And this guy, Greg, who's, he's since passed, but he set up the whole China Beach surf scene there. And he was a guy from San Clemente who I bet, I bet your dad knew him. Right. Uh, but, but the point is, is that lifeguards and surfers, they're, they're just, they're interconnected. You know, the, no matter what, you know, we've all made little rescues here or there, you know, random. You right. know, maybe it's a kid in a rip. Maybe it's some drunk guys in Mexico, whatever. But, um, you know, your story, Big Wave Guardians, I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. And um, do you know where, uh, what kind of distribution plans? I know it's in theaters. If you go on the website thing, it shows like where it'll be, sort of when and stuff. It's pretty limited right now because there's so many minions and top guns and things are taking up all the space. Yeah. But we're hoping in like another month or so it'll start opening up where we can get into the theaters and more more diverse. We're in like a hundred things coming up. But uh and the film really like, focuses on North Shore lifeguards, right? Right. And I, that's one of the things also that I wish it had been more diverse, would have yeah. been more worldwide. Because the Australians, I mean, they're the king lifeguards. They're just, they show up at events. It's like, guess what, dude? They're yeah. taking it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whether it's Jamie Mitchell or whatever, they're just, yeah. they're just that level. They're that into it. They're, yeah. They look at lifeguarding like freaking surfing. You got those little nipper guys, all that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's, here's an interesting st- story, though. I've been arrested and beat up by lifeguards a couple times, and uh, <laughs> and but I still respect them huge. Yeah. I was at a Newport Point one day. It was like 15-foot faces just going off, and I was the only guy still in the water. They kicked everybody out of the water, and I was like, they're too Everybody out of the water, you know, they're going to have like a, some handgun contest or something, a shore break. And I'm like, I'm not getting out. Yeah. And so this lifeguard po- pulls up to me, and they're like, get out, dude, get out. And I kept just being a punk, whatever, not listening to stuff. And this head guy, I'll never forget, his name is Logan Lockerby guy. He takes the boat, throws it in reverse. He's at the helm, right? Then he throws it in, the, then he throws it in neutral. Then he throws it in the forward. And he runs from the helm to the back of the transom and jumps off and jumps on him. He grabs me, pulls me underwater, and just <laughs> throws me on the boat like a rag doll. <laughs> I was just like, uh, <laughs> off to jail. <laughs> that I was in a Newport Beach jail with my wetsuit on. <laughs> that is classic. That is all time. But uh, I probably would have done the same thing if I was him. It's like, little shit, Eddie, listen, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's classic. 
You know, we actually have a mutual friend. I went to college with Craig Schieber. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we'll just leave it right there. <laughs> God, that's funny. Yeah. I, well. I just ran into his whole crew down in uh, El Salvador. Oh, yeah? Bunch of bunch of Costa Rican guys. There's a really good surfer from there that he hangs out with. And yeah. It's funny. They brought his name up. Costa Rican. He's like, oh, tequila. <laughs> yeah. He's a character, boy. Yeah, he's a piece of work. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, look, we've we've said a lot, Marty. We've had a great discussion. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy, and uh, and uh, I just want to thank you for being on the Boardroom Podcast. Thank you.